Welcome to the Soft Life with Sadie Baddies. Sadie Baddies is the antidote to mental health stigma, and this podcast is hosted by yours truly, Priscilla O. Adjman. We are a virtual sanctuary centering Black and multiracial people, and we prioritize the mental and emotional nourishment that is the foundation of collective healing in our communities. Thank you for being here. Happy Tuesday, baddies. Welcome back to the Soft Life. I hope that you're doing well this morning or today or whenever you decide to listen to this episode and tune in and join the conversation. So let's talk about last week real quick. <laughs> last week, we dropped an episode about dealing with microaggressions. And let me just say, I was, I mean, I kind of expected it. And then I also kind of didn't expect some of the feedback that we got in the comments was a little wild. It was a little crazy. Uh, let's just say the January 6thers they came out. Um, there was some people that were not comfortable or not happy with the conversation being had, specifically about owning your name and being proud of where you come from and not letting people pr- mispronounce your name. Somehow that got misconstrued and you know a lot of it was just xenophobic to be quite on be quite honest so um if you were in the comment section and you know you were supporting and and just helping to bring light and shed light just know that I appreciate you and thank you for supporting and just being responsible for the truth and being able to share our truth as black people and people of color um, and honestly, if conversations about race make you uncomfortable, that's good. That's a good thing. Cause guess what? Nothing is, there's nothing that compares to the discomfort of talking about race versus actually dealing with racism in real life. So, um, yeah, that was a little, you know, got a little spicy, but again, I appreciate you if you were supporting and, um, shared, um, the content from last week because I think microaggressions are so deeply rooted in the fabric of our everyday lives that it can be brushed off as something that's just um, offensive or annoying, but it's it's much deeper than that. So definitely check out that episode if you haven't already. I also want to share an announcement um, that next Tuesday, March 7th, we are going to be on a very exciting panel discussion with the Webby Awards. So the Webby Awards, in partnership with Omidia Network, are hosting a virtual event on March 7th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. And the topic is all about building an inclusive internet and asking the question, how do we build communities and products online that are inclusive? So this is the Webby Awards latest event in their event series, and we will explore crucial steps to thoughtfully carve out spaces and cultivate a sense of belonging across creator spaces, product development, and infrastructure. This is going to be such an amazing conversation. I'm very excited to be on this panel discussion. It's virtual, so you can join anywhere in the world. Um, Again, the time is Tuesday, March 7th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. I will obviously link the RSVP in our show notes and I would love to see you there. Pull up, especially if you come from the podcast um, and you RSVP, I would love to see you there and um, just get to talk about this a really important topic as the internet and social media are constantly changing and shifting. Um, this conversation could not be more timely. And thank you to the Webby Awards for um, sponsoring this virtual event. 
And last but not least, I want to talk about our most recent feature from our friends over at Sustainable Baddie. We had an awesome article written by Natasha Lopez. Natasha, if you're listening, thank you again for this write-up. It's so beautiful. It's actually one of my favorite um, features that we've had about Saddie Baddies because it just goes more into depth about not just our origin story, but why community and both virtual and in real life is the future and um, how it impacts mental health and our well-being. I just love the way that this was written and portrayed. So we'll also link that article in the show notes. I love Sustainable Baddie. They are such an amazing organization and brand that is really shifting the conversation about sustainability in our communities, um, both online and offline. Okay, so let's get into today's topic. I want to talk about how a lot of us might um, know what depression is and might have an understanding, but let's dive into high-functioning depression and what that really means. So high-functioning depression isn't a medical term per se, but rather it's the way that mental health professionals typically describe the mental disorder of depression and how it exhibits in individuals. I also want to be clear that the term high functioning is not meant to be ableist. It's not meant to be offensive. However, this is the term that's most familiar in the mental health and clinical settings. And it is the term that is most likely to be identified by folks who are discussing mental health topics. So for the sake of familiarity we will be referring to this as high functioning depression but again i just want to you know remind you that this is not meant to take away from any other conditions or create a binary of high functioning and low functioning the clinical term for high functioning depression is actually called dysmythia and people who are said to have high functioning depression are able to go about their day-to-day task accomplish their goals and interact with loved ones on a daily basis, all while being all while being burdened by their mental state. A misconception of depression is that you can just snap out of it or that something caused you to feel depressed. And this was said by um, a psychologist named Catherine Moore, who is a psychologist at Providence St. John's Child and Family Development Center in Santa Monica, California. And she also adds, when you are clinically depressed, you feel very sad or hopeless for no external reason. Depression can be more of a low-grade chronic unhappiness with life, or it can be intense feelings of hopelessness and negative thoughts about yourself and your life. It's also important to understand that sadness and depression are not the same thing. Everyone experiences sadness at some point in their lives, and it typically is an atem- it's typically a temporary emotion based off a specific life event, such as loss or trauma or drastic change in your life. However, depression is a chronic, often lifelong condition caused by structural psychosocial imbalances and um, also genetics can play a part in the role of depression. Um, Dr. Mendez, another uh, psychologist, also writes that depression involves periods of hopelessness, lethargy, emptiness, helplessness, irritability, and problems focusing and concentrating. 
And before we dive in deeper, I want to share a disclaimer that I am not a licensed mental health professional. I am not a psychologist or a therapist. This information and this insight is based off evidence that's available online and available to the public, as well as my own lived experiences, which are also completely valid when talking about mental health. And I just want to encourage you that if you are struggling um, to please visit our website, studybodies.com slash resources, where we have a laundry list of mental health resources that are available to you. And um, yeah, let's continue diving deep into this topic. So if you've been watching the show Harlem on Amazon Prime, I recently got into this show. I was kind of watching it like on and off. I watched a couple episodes and then I you know, got sidetracked and was probably watching Insecure or something else. (laughs) But I I started rewatching it courtesy of my friend Steph. Um, And this is such a great show. I mean, for so many reasons, it's about four black women that all live in Harlem, New York, which, you know, ironically, I also live here in Harlem and Harlem is my neighborhood and my my home. Um, And they live and work in Harlem. They're creatives, they're entrepreneurs, they're um, educators, businesswomen, and they're all ha- they all have their own backstories, and they come from different family backgrounds and dynamics and upbringings. So, um, in season two of Harlem, um, the the episode is actually called "Out of the Dead Pan and Into the Fire." So, this is season two, episode six. Um, One of the main characters, her name is Quinn, and she's played by the actress Grace Byers. Um, She goes through a lot of transitions in her personal life. She's going through a transition of questioning herself, her goals, her career goals, what she wants out of life. She's also going through um, a metamorphosis of her, her sexuality and opening up to discover what she is true what she truly wants out of love and relationships and um she's going through a lot of personal changes in her life but even though on the on the external side she's going through a lot of changes uh, there's this undercurrent of her being really really unhappy but it it almost has nothing to do with what's going on externally in her life and everything to do with what's going on inside And as the show goes on and as the episode plays out, you realize that Quinn is not okay. Like she's going through it. She's going through a hard time. Um, It's almost undetectable by her friends because she is the bubbly person. She's kind of like the mom of the group in a way. Um, She's the person that people can lean on. She's a person that people rely on a lot. And she's the strong friend. In my opinion, out of out of this group, I mean, they're all. They're all strong and and smart a woman, but Quinn has like this strength that I think can be taken advantage of in some ways. And um, as as the show goes on, you realize like she's really going through a hard time and she hits rock bottom and she's going through a depressive episode and there's like a slow build to it. Um, and then you realize like, wow, she's been suffering so much. And even her friends are not aware of what's going on with her because she hides it so well. And I was amazed at how well 
this episode in particular portrayed what high functioning depression feels like and what it looks like from a social point of view, from a personal point of view, and how, you know, you can be known as a strong friend or you can be that go-to person for everyone in your life. But sometimes when you're suffering, it's so difficult to ask for help because one of the biggest hurdles is having people see you and understand you and say, hey, I know I don't look like I'm depressed, but I am. I really am. And almost having to convince people that you are suffering and you're going through a really difficult time or or not even just a period of time. Like this has, maybe this has been your experience for years and years, but just it's so hard for people to get an understanding of why you're suffering because sometimes there's no real reason. Sometimes it's such a, it's such an overwhelming experience because there's no pinpoint. There's no ne- There's not necessarily like a beginning or end to it. It's just kind of this fluid, vague period of your life or, you know, it makes you question if it's valid and it makes you question of what you're experiencing is real. Um, later on, and I don't want to spoil that, you know, the show or the episodes for anyone who's I'm not caught up or wants to watch. Um, But I will say that later on, she does explore, um, you know, taking medication for her depression and dealing with the stigma that comes with it. So, again, I think that this episode just it sparked me to have, you know, this conversation in a more um, in an updated way, because I've talked about depression a lot um, ever since we've started this this brand and this platform. And it's always going to be a conversation that we're going to have because, you know, the reality is a lot of people do do uh, live with depression. So this is an ongoing conversation. Uh, this episode in particular really just, it sparked, it sparked this conversation for me. And I also want to share, you know, my experience with my first depressive episode and why it was so hard for me to ask for help. And I I spoke about this a bit in my in the first episode, um, converting your fear into your purpose. And for those who are new or are not listening um, to the episodes chronologically, which is totally fine. um, I'm going to just, you know, kind of rewind and, and talk about my experience with my first depressive episode and how I knew it was time to ask for help. So about five, actually six years ago now, about six years ago, um, I was in grad school for the first time and um, I was living in New York by myself. I had two roommates and I was doing school full time. I didn't have a job. I was single and I was dating and it it just I was in a in a place in my life where I felt very I didn't feel grounded, I didn't feel particularly stable because even though I had you know been going to school and I'm I'm in school full time, I just I didn't know what I was going to do afterwards. That was kind of just my next step to the next step. I didn't have anything. I didn't have a plan essentially. And as I mentioned, you know, I was single at the time and I was dating and I was feeling really um, just underwhelmed 
by my my dating life at that time. I was just feeling very frustrated, feeling not seen, not heard, and just choosing people that were not good for me, quite frankly. Um, I slowly but surely in the beginning of the year, I slipped into a depressive episode because it was a slow build. It wasn't like all of a sudden one day I was just like, you know, came crashing down. It was a very, very slow build over time of me ignoring my feelings, ignoring the feelings of overwhelming, um, feeling overwhelmed, ignoring the feelings of loneliness, hopelessness, um, sadness that just consumed me. And so little by little, I felt it building up, but I didn't think it was that big of a deal because I'm like, oh, well, this is just life. I'm just, I'm an adult. I'm 24 years old and this is how life is, you know? Um, so I, I definitely downplayed it, but things got worse. Things got really bad. I, um, I came to a point where I just kind of stopped living. Like I stopped trying to do anything. And that's so unlike me. If you know me and you know who I am, I'm quite the opposite of that. And so I felt like I had lost my, my lust for life. I lost the excitement. I lost that, that, that little energy that you have, it helps you to get up in the morning. Um, I lost that. I, I, it, I don't know where it went, but it just slipped away. And little by little, I felt myself kind of feeling like I was in a hole and I was kind of locked away in my room. You know, it's not like anyone locked me in there, but I had just kind of gave up on life. Essentially. I just stayed in my room for, I think it was like three or four days in a row. Like I didn't come out of my room. Um, I, didn't shower, which again is not like me. Um, I'm a super clean freak. And so for me to not shower is like to anyone that knows me, that's like, what, what do you mean? Um, I was not really eating. I think I was eating like, I was eating enough to not like make myself feel sick. Like, I, I guess I just, I, food was not a priority to me. I, I didn't care about food. I didn't care about what I was eating. Um, I was just crying. I was just like bawling my eyes out, crying so much. And then I would feel numb and then I would cry again. And then it was just like this really dark, 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 dark place. And um, I felt so alone. I was living in New York, so I was away from my family. Even though my family was close by in New Jersey, I didn't feel comfortable asking for help um, because I was judging myself so hard. I was judging myself so much and I wasn't opening up to them. I wasn't opening up to my family or my friends because I felt like, well, if I'm judging myself this way, imagine how they're going to judge me. And I was projecting that self-judgment outwards and just feeling like, well, no one's going to understand me. Um, you know, this is not like me. This is so like out of character for me and I don't have to explain myself and all these things. And so I just really didn't feel comfortable opening up to my family and my friends. Um, I also was just kind of not answering my phone, which again, is not like me. I was just doing a lot of things that were outside of my character. Um, I also had a lot of stigma and shame about mental health. I didn't know anything about talking about my mental health, I didn't really have the language. I didn't have the language to understand what I was feeling. And there was so much stigma that 
I felt attached to my feelings because I'm like, girl, there's nothing to complain about. You are in graduate school. You're going, you know, you're doing your thing, I guess. Like you're living in New York. You're paying your rent. You're doing what you need to do. Like you're just being a 24-year-old grad student. Like what else do you need to do? But I couldn't I couldn't shake the fact that I just I wasn't worthy. I didn't feel like I was worthy enough. And I just felt very ashamed of of the way I was feeling. Um, and I also had I didn't really have a, a clear understanding about the signs or the symptoms of what I was going through. And, you know, this is this is like six years ago. So people really weren't talking about mental health like they are now or like they are today. And there was not really a lot of mental health platforms that were talking about this in the way that I felt like I could be seen. Although I did try to kind of find something on the internet or like, you know, something beyond WebMD that could kind of validate how I was feeling. I couldn't find anything. And I just felt so alone. I didn't have any I didn't have anyone that was like, I know what you're going through. And even if I did have someone at the time, I wasn't opening up. So there was no way for someone to even know that I needed help at the time. And, you know, um, eventually one of my close, close, close friends um, realized that I was like. Just kind of disappearing, like I wasn't showing up, I wasn't going to class and she came over and she was like you know, maybe you should talk to someone. And Ray, if you're listening, this, I'm talking about you. Um, And I just, again, I'm so grateful that you saw me in that moment and you, you saw that I needed help. Um, And I, you know, eventually got the, the courage to go to therapy. And through my grad school, my graduate school program, um, we had free mental health counseling, in grad school. And honestly, if I was not in grad school, I will just say right now, I probably wouldn't have gone to therapy and I, I wouldn't have tried because if it wasn't free, I wouldn't have gone because there was no way for me to pay for it at the time. But, um, I signed up, I went to my first therapy session. I was trying to talk myself out of going for so long, but eventually I just decided to show up. I put my name down on the paper Um, I was so embarrassed. I was like wearing all black and (laughs) just like felt so embarrassed for having to go to the psychiatrist. But that's what I needed at the time. I needed help. And if I didn't have the help that I got, I wouldn't be here today. So I'm just grateful that, you know, despite that really dark um, experience and that period of time, because it was ongoing, I, you know, I was able to slowly but surely listen to God, listen to my family and my friends that were supporting me at the time and, and pushed through and started going to therapy for the first time. And it changed my life. Um, so I want to talk about some of the signs that it's time to ask for help and, um, how high functioning depression, how it looks in, in, in black women in particular, and why it is so different in how it shows up and um, black women and people of color. So some signs that um, it's time to ask for help or some of the ways that high functioning depression shows up in our lives. Hold on, I'm gonna grab some tea. So 
some signs that it's um, time to ask for help is that you might feel hopeless um, often or cry a lot without any real reason or any concrete reason. Um, You might do well enough at work or school, but it is a challenge and focusing on tasks is difficult. So, you know, you might be you might be that person who's able to still do their job or still kind of, you know, show up to work or school, but it's still challenging and it feels like pulling teeth. You uh, another sign is that you might have to force yourself to engage in social activities when you would rather just withdraw and be home. You feel a little bit down most of the time, like most of the time you just feel down and unhappy there's always almost there's almost always a mood of a a low mood that's always present and it feels like you will never get relief and when you do feel happy it feels fleeting and it doesn't last long enough another emotional sign is um you feeling bad about yourself feeling unworthy or as if you don't deserve to feel happy or be liked by others you may also feel tired all the time, even if you get enough or to, if you even if you get enough sleep or you might get a lot of sleep to try to sleep off those feelings. You might judge yourself and think that you're being lazy, but truly you just can't summon the, em- the energy to do more than is necessary to function at a normal level. And you're doing everything you're supposed to do like go to school or keep the house clean or take care of your kids, but everything feels like a monumental effort. So these are just some of the signs. I mean, there's so many more, but these are some of the signs that um, of, of someone who might be struggling with high functioning depression. It's like, again, that low grade mood and that low grade feeling of unworthiness of unhappiness of feeling sad and just hopeless um but still kind of carrying on day by day and doing your daily routine or going through your daily task so i also want to speak specifically about how um depression shows up in black women because more and more psychologists and more and more mental health professionals are having this conversation because we're seeing that in different groups of people, depression or mental health disorders can show up differently. So Nicole Perez, who is a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner and and postdoctoral associate at NYU College of Nursing, and she's also the author of the study published in Nursing Research. She wrote, based on our findings, and this is about an article um, on depression in black women, which I'll also link in the show notes um, if you want to read it. It's a great article. Um, but she wrote, based on our findings, it's possible that healthcare providers may miss depression symptoms in black women, resulting in underdiagnosis and undertreatment. Black women in the study were shown to have greater depressive symptoms and they were they were more likely to report somatic symptoms. So somatic meaning feelings versus just um, thinking. 
So somatic and, and somatic in the body. Um, so the symptoms that black women were um, reported included fatigue, insomnia, decreased sex drive, and self-critical symptoms such as self-hate, self-blame, rather than stereotypical depression symptoms such as feelings of hopelessness or depressed mood. They also experienced, they also reported experiencing anhedonia, which is an inability to experience pleasure as well as irritability. And um, furthermore, notably, symptoms experienced by black women may not be adequately assessed in a clinical practice using standard screening tools, especially on those that focus on feeling depressed without addressing somatic and self-critical symptoms. So there's a gap that's happening when healthcare providers screen for depression in Black women because they're focusing more on the thought patterns, the, the feelings of hopelessness or depressed mood rather than the physical and somatic symptoms such as fatigue, not being able to sleep, not having a sex drive, um, and then also those those feelings of self-hate and self-blame. Um, those are those are also key um, key screening factors that healthcare professionals need to start looking at more widely because if you are only looking at one singular way in how someone shows up or how depression shows up in someone based on your clinical evidence, right? So if your clinical evidence is based on, you know, largely, People who are not black or people who are not diverse, a diverse population, you know, sometimes you you might get a different um, perception versus what this study is showing that no, actually, black women, you know, they do experience depression and they do suffer with depression. However, it might show up differently, and the symptoms might be a little bit differently. Um, and I also want to focus on the irritability factor. I think the irritability is is such a underlooked symptom, especially because if your stereotype as a black woman, which we know by and large black women are stereotyped to have an attitude or to be rude or to be withdrawn or, um, you know, just whatever the stereotype is, if your stereotype includes irritability, I'm sure that type of symptom gets a lot less compassion than someone who's feeling lonely or someone who's feeling just an overwhelming wave of sadness and hopelessness. Irritability is that suppressed emotion, that that underbelly of feeling overwhelmed. And I, I personally feel like when I'm irritable, I feel overwhelmed. I'm not able to process my feelings. And that's why everything bothers me. I could feel overstimulated. I could feel ignored I could feel overwhelmed but that irritability is what shows up and I think that's such an important factor in how depression shows up in black women and it's like maybe take a step back and consider the the person in your life or the black woman in your life or the black person in your life who might be irritable or might have like these feelings of um this this fatigue or this insomnia if you add irritability on top of that maybe from their lack of sleep, from their lack of um, care that they're receiving um, mentally, physically, emotionally, I would be irritable too. Um, so I think that this study is is really important and it really helps to 
to highlight how depression can look different especially in black women and truthfully we need to look beyond looking sad we need to look beyond asking or seeing if someone's depressed based on how they look and telling someone but you don't look sad or oh wow but you don't look that way it takes away the validity of their experience and the more we step away from assuming someone doesn't appear or look depressed based on how they look, the more we'll be able to continue removing that stigma. And I think a prime example of someone that didn't necessarily look depressed, but definitely was, was Chesley Christ, who was a 2019 Miss USA. And she was an amazing person that had an MBA and was a lawyer and, you know, was a pageant queen. And unfortunately, we lost her and she died by suicide last year. And the world was stunned. The world was shocked about how we lost this amazing, bright, beautiful woman. Oh my God, but she doesn't look depressed. She doesn't look depressed. But that's the whole point is that your depression does not always show up on your face. Just because you can carry the load well doesn't mean that it's not heavy. There is no reward for how gracefully we can suffer. And to me, high functioning is almost a blanket term for, you know, high functioning, high functioning to what? Are we high functioning to see how well we can thrive in a hyper productive capitalistic society that, you know, we can prove how much we're ignoring our emotional and mental health needs. And that's what makes us high functioning. I don't think that high functioning should be a badge of honor. I don't think that high functioning should be a reward of how much we're suffering with our mental health. And I really encourage us as a community and and as individuals to move away from telling someone or or saying that that person does not look depressed. I mean, I could say the same thing about Twitch, who also died by suicide last year. And I I think that it's it's really, you know, I think whenever we we have someone in um in entertainment or 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 public figures that die by suicide, I think there's always this shock that happens. And a lot of times it's because it's the person you never expect, you know, and that's the whole point. The point is that depression is, is a, it's, it's a slow, it's a slow burn and it can last for years and years and years. There's people who've been living with depression for, for almost their whole adult lives and it's chronic. Um, and it's it doesn't always show up in such an obvious way. And, you know, and then there's acute depression, which means that you are experiencing depression for a period of time in your life. But, you know, um, through whether it's medication or therapy or somatic healing, um, you're able to or you're you've been you're you're receiving the care and the treatment that you need that can help you to you know, um, transition out of that acute depression. And I, I personally, I mean, after speaking to a psychiatrist and a therapist, um, 
for years, I realized and, you know, my psychiatrist confirmed I was going through like an acute depressive or de- acute depression at the time. So having that understanding and, and knowing that, OK, this was a period of time in my life. That doesn't mean it's never going to happen again. And, you know, if it does happen again, if I do go through a depressive episode again, thankfully, I'm able to know how to pivot. I, I understand I have the tools and I have resources available to help me through that period of my life. And it's not something that I'm terrified of anymore, even though it was the darkest time in my life. I I don't feel that fear because I know that there's help, there's hope on the other side. And of course, I want to, you know, share Um, some resources, but I just want to, you know, remind you that if you are going through, um, if you feel like you might be someone that is going through depression or high functioning depression, I want you to remember that you're not alone. And um, whether you look like you're depressed or not, whether you are the only person that knows you're depressed or everyone in your family, or you're carrying this, this load by yourself, just know that you're not alone. And I want to share some resources um, through Sadi Baddies. So we have so many resources on our website. If you go to sadibaddies.com slash resources, we have a list of resources. Um, some, you know, are therapy focused, but some are not. Some are um, other uh, tools and guides that we share. And um, one of them being the depression resource guide, which is on our website. And um, this is an, is a great guide. It really goes in depth about depression. And I one thing that I know is that when I when I understand something better, when I have the language for it, it helps me to navigate it so much more. And that's exactly what you know, Sadie Batty's purpose is, is to help you navigate through and the soft life podcast, obviously, like we really want to help you navigate through some of life's um, challenges and stresses and land on them with a softer touch and a more compassionate way of approaching it. So the depression resource guide is on our website, as well as the Samaritan Suicide Prevention Center. And this is actually the only community-based suicide prevention organization that's open 24 hours in New York City. And we have a, a list of other amazing resources on our website. So definitely check that out. And of course, you know, Therapy for Black Girls is an amazing resource if you are looking specifically for um, a black therapist. This is a great directory and guide. I've used this myself um, years ago and it's helped me to find a great therapist. So um, that's always a great resource. Also, um, Alma Therapy and um, Open Path Collective Therapy is um, uh, provides a sliding scale of sessions that I believe are between 30 to 60 dollars a session which is significantly less than the market you know price for therapy and i i I cringe saying market price for therapy because it's like uh why why is there even such a thing but anyway i i encourage you to check out that resource because um it is definitely one of the more affordable options and we do have a list of free or low-cost resources through um our website and um just as a tip 
uh, federally um, qualified healthcare centers in your state. Every state has a federally um, qualified healthcare center. There are a few, there's actually quite a few in New York um, and on the East Coast. Those centers typically do offer therapy at a very, very discounted rate or they're completely free from my understanding. So check those out too. And um, again, everything, all the research will be in our show notes. And last but not least, I wanted to just share some community care and self-care because the two cannot exist without each other. And, you know, really just talking about how to support someone with high functioning depression or with depression. You know, I think we always hear the phrase, check on your strong friend, check on your strong friend. But some of us don't have the language or the capacity to check on our strong friends. Some some people some people check on their strong friends and then they don't they don't have a follow up. They don't know what to say after because they don't know how to talk about those uncomfortable feelings. And if you've if you've ever talked to someone who is is clinically depressed, those feelings are heavy. Those those feelings of not wanting to be here are heavy. And that's not something that everybody can handle. And that's why I always say that you have to ask the person what they need, because maybe that person doesn't want to talk. Maybe that person just wants to cry. Maybe that person wants to have you sit with them and watch Real Housewives together on their couch. Like maybe that person just needs you to pick up their laundry or maybe that person needs you to not judge them if they haven't showered for a couple of days. And they're, you know, that's a whole nother topic about the stigma of like hygiene and cleanliness when you are depressed and how, you know, we're so quick to judge people that might look disheveled or might look un- quote unquote unkempt, but you have no idea what they're going through. And so there's so many ways to show up for people. It doesn't always have to be you being on the listening end. Sometimes it's literally showing up with flowers at their door. Sometimes it's showing up and bringing food and soup, or sometimes it's showing up and helping them get in the shower. That's true community care. And I don't know if everybody has the capacity to do that, but that's that's the healing that we need. You know, I I don't think we have enough therapy slots in the world to help all of us get the help that we need. But if we can be there for each other and we can open our eyes and kind of take the individualism out of our daily lives every now and then and look around us and see collectively how we can support each other, that's true collective healing. So I I I really encourage you to look around you and to talk to your friend, talk to the friend in your group that has all everything together. That's the planner that is strong. But, you know, that person might be going through a very hard time and you might not even know it. And that person could be someone who never gets asked, how are you? How are you really? And like truly asking that person how they are. You might be surprised that that person's been waiting for someone to ask them that for days, months, years. So check in, truly hold space and not just offer, you know, oh, hey, are you okay? No, I'm not. All right, that's it. End of conversation. It has to go deeper than that. It has to go deeper than that. Um, And then also um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, of course, you know, asking for help is the hardest part, but that's the biggest step. And 
practicing somatic healing. So healing that's sensory based, you know, um, whether it's um, the emotional freedom technique, also known as EFT. And um, I have a friend of mine, Lotus, who is an EFT practitioner, and she shares, you know, step by step, you know, guides of how to practice EFT. And she's great. Our, it's called the tapping method. And um, community service is also an, an amazing way to connect with community with where it's not focused on talking about your feelings per se, but you're part of a group, you're doing something for a social good. And I know for me, when I've been going through when I've gone through some of the hardest moments in my life, um, stepping outside of myself and, and doing community service has always been a way for me to feel grounded and rooted and Um, It's helped me to shift that perspective and kind of get out of that like dark space in a lot of ways. And um, just being in nature, um, being finding grounding practices that are effective. And, um, you know, Sadi Baddies is the the whole point of Sadi Baddies is to remove this stigma surrounding mental health. But Sadi Baddies was started because I, I know that there's other people who may not look like they're depressed and that's the whole point you know being you can be a baddie you can be a bad bitch you can be someone that's admirable beautiful lovable joyful but you can still be suffering and um or you can still be going through this emotional and mental turmoil but that doesn't stop you from being a good person you know your your symptoms of depression do not make you a bad person it means that you need help and i am overly optimistic and i i do hope that as we continue having conversations about mental health and we show up for each other actually you know our society is really requires so much healing from the damage that happens to to us as as a society as a community and a lot of it is is not our fault i'll say that much i i don't think it's a coincidence that we have the most depressed generation of of people that we've ever had. I think that goes hand in hand with the way that our society is is built and and how we are programmed and um, how capitalism literally forces us out of bed and forces us into spaces that are maybe overwhelming for us and I mean, I have so many thoughts about that. So maybe we'll we'll do a part two of that episode. But I just, again, encourage you to check out the website, sadiebodies.com, and share it with someone you know, or, you know, feel free to explore and discover some resources that could be helpful for you. But I'm sending you so much love and uh, stay soft. See you next week. To stay connected, join Sadi Baddies on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and more, and sign up for our monthly newsletter on SadiBaddies.com to stay in the loop. Sending you hella love and stay soft, baddie.